0: Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. This first day is a settling in period, and the, the question often comes up, what am I doing here? You might have done this many, many times, and still it can come up what 's the point of this anyway? So I wanted to to talk tonight one way to look at what we 're doing and what we 're practicing. Um, and uh, this is under the the title of "Transforming Suffering into Happiness." Not a bad alchemical formula but that's really what we are doing and it might not be so apparent but every single moment that you're practicing with that sincere intention that's exactly what you're doing and to just give you a, a sense first of how this magic formula works share a little bit of Buddhist psychology with you in every moment <clears throat> there is a, a flavor of experience three flavors in in uh, in the teachings it's called the feeling tone of experience or vedana, V-E-D-A-N-A. there's either uh, it's either a pleasant moment An unpleasant moment moment, or neither pleasant nor unpleasant, a neutral moment. That pretty much covers the territory, doesn't it? Not that it's bad, not that you're wrong for having an unpleasant moment or right for having a pleasant moment. Just any moment is going to be one of those things. It's either pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. We can say neutral. How you respond To that experience that flavor whatever it happens to be can lead to can be in the moment and further lead to either suffering or well-being and happiness. The usual response when it's a pleasant moment if we're not so conscious or uh, mindful is we want to possess it we want to hold on to it we want more of it this is under the the rubric of attachment grasping wanting greed and that is a source of suffering every moment that is unpleasant There is, I shouldn't say every moment, but the typical response to an unpleasant moment is we don't like it and we want to push it away. Sometimes even with aggression, if it's really bugging us or stirring us up. That is the arena of aversion, anger, ill will aggression and again that is both suffering in the moment and uh, continuing suffering outside you know further on because you are practicing that habit in a neither pl- n- neither pleasant nor unpleasant a neutral moment the typical response is um, spacing out or not being there for it or what's called delusion or confusion, um, which is not so pleasant in itself. And that also is is not going to be leading to well-being or happiness. You're sleepwalking through your life. Or there's another dimension of delusion, which I'll, I'll speak to uh, later on in the talk, uh, which is um, uh, identifying with our experience. And we'll get to that in a little bit. Another possible response that is the source of happiness, it comes when you're being mindful. In the moment of mindfulness, When it's a pleasant moment you experience it you can experience it fully and it's absolutely fine not only fine but um, I think healthy and recommended to not miss the pleasant moments particularly if they're wholesome pleasant moments but you're not grasping on trying to keep what's changing here Or trying to increase what is passing. So you're experiencing it, experiencing it fully without the grasping, just being very present and allowing for it to change when it changes. If it's an unpleasant moment, not that you like the unpleasant moment, but it's possible with mindfulness To simply note and notice oh this is an unpleasant moment without adding on the extra reaction of I hate this moment and if I were running the universe I'd do a much better job than this and how do I get out of it and I know I'm going to you know die if that bell doesn't ring in another five minutes because I hate being here in the hall and whatever. And you can just get a whole reaction that um, creates a lot more suffering. But if you are here for it, ah, this is an unpleasant moment. This is boring. Not this is boring, but this is boring. This is a moment of boredom. This is a moment of discomfort. This is a moment of sadness or fear. Oh, that's what this moment is. If you can be with the unpleasant without that extra reaction, then you are not creating more suffering for yourself. It's a moment of non-hatred or non-aversion. One could say friendliness with the moment and with delusion with the the moment of the neutrality if you are if you are not present then you space out or you identify with the experience if you are mindful then this moment is simply another moment to be here for your life and it's not confusing you don't space out and you also don't take it to be yours. You don't take it personally. And again, we'll just put a pause button on that because it'll uh, we'll come to that in a little while. So the three roots of suffering in these teachings are greed hatred and delusion or attachment aversion and ignorance the three roots of happiness and well-being are their opposite non greed or a heart or a mind that can let go and even express generosity non aversion non hatred which is a kindness a friendliness love Metta in relationship to your experience and others around you and non-delusion, non-confusion or clarity, wisdom, seeing things clearly. Those are the three sources of happiness and well-being and they come every moment that you're being mindful. So when you're not mindful, Greed, hatred, delusion, typical responses. When you are mindful, non-greed, generosity, non-aversion or hatred, loving kindness, non-delusion or wisdom are the results. So you can see why mindfulness is such a key element in this. It is the essence of this magical transformation this is why the Buddha said in the the discourse that all of uh, practice is based on the Satipatthana Sutta he starts it with there is one direct most wonderful way is sometimes translated to end sorrow lamentation grief despair pain and anxiety and realize the highest happiness That is the establishment of mindfulness. Pretty cool, isn't it? So how does this work in a practical way? I want to explore each of these. Mm. But to keep in mind that every moment we have a choice. That is, if we are present enough, we have a choice to transform what would typically be suffering into well-being and happiness so we'll take a look at each of these three and bearing in mind that this is directly connected to what you're doing here so the first is the tendency to want to grasp and hold on to experience And it's so deeply conditioned in our mind have you seen when you've had a pleasant moment either here or in your life but even here oh wow far out it's working this is good how do I keep it here oh this is a moment this is kind of peaceful I'm kind of it's okay being here after all oh okay yeah all right here we go it changes. This is uh, from Calvin and Hobbes, a a great uh, dharma wisdom source. Calvin starts out the first frame, here I am happy and content. Second frame, but not euphoric. (laughs) Third frame, so now I'm no longer content i 'm unhappy. My day is ruined. Fourth frame. I need to stop thinking while i 'm ahead that's that 's what happens it 's like, oh, just a little bit more would be really nice, you know except a little bit more keeps you that wanting a little bit more keeps you from. Fully experiencing what's here right now. I, I share this story. Um, it's great coming to a place where uh, where you can use material that's that might be new to to many people. But this one story, and uh, I write about it in my book. My son uh, Adam, who is now 26, when he was very young, he was about uh, two and a half. And we were uh, down at Yucca Valley, the retreat down in Southern California that uh, I used to teach at for for many years. And we were in the um, snack room. We were in the dining room, I should say, the the staff area. And it was snack time. And just the two of us were together. And there was this big bowl of luscious strawberries, his favorite food, big organic strawberries. And he was, you know, like the proverbial proverbial kid in a candy store. He was just stuffing them into his mouth in juice running all the way, all down his cheeks. And I got the brilliant idea of teaching him to eat mindfully, right? Like everybody else on the retreat was doing. You know, why can't a -a two-and-a-half-year-old do it too, right? And I said to him, Adam, taste this. Taste the strawberry. It's so good. Just taste what you got in your mouth. He didn't want to hear anything about that, and he was saying, "Oh no 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 no." And there's this one moment that's indelible in my in my <laughs> memory bank. A huge strawberry in his ba- in his mouth as I was keeping the bowl out of his reach, and there he is reaching and going, "Strawberry!" <laughs> and that's kind of our predicament that we can't even taste the strawberry when we're afraid that we're not going to get more. It's so interesting how the game is wired up, isn't it? And not only is it wired up, but it's its these days kind of rigged against us even more. This is um, a uh, an ad that was given to me a number of years ago called the gold shivers beautiful woman draped in gold very happy expression the gold shivers that electric excitement that thrilling warmth every new piece of gold jewelry ignites it once again nothing makes you feel as good as gold this is a two page ad you can get to see her what is the real substance of a new piece of gold jewelry emotion pure and powerful from the first small shiver of excitement when a shimmering necklace of gold beads catches a woman's eye to the great shivers of delight when the coveted object actually becomes hers among life's pleasures count this deeply felt euphoria as unique the only way to get the gold shivers is by getting the gold it's brilliant you might not even care for jewelry but you see that you say gee I'd like some too you know (laughs) and you might think I know better than that I'm a I'm a discriminating Dharma practitioner you can't fool me with that stuff your brain is fooled that is why coca-cola will spend millions of dollars for 30 seconds of your attention so you can see one more hit of happiness and Coke. <sighs> because it gets in there. It does. And so we just are filled with wanting more. And the average American, this was in a study from the, around the year 2000, the average American in those days, and I think this is conservative now, um, received, receives at least 3,000, messages every day like this. Unless you're on retreat where the big question is what's for lunch, you know. But even spending like, you know, 20 minutes on hyperlink reality, you get that everywhere. Saying, you think you're happy, you're not happy. You need this to make you happy. And then besides stuff, it's cramming things in and needing to fill our life with important activities. And again, Exhibit B, from my favorite writer, I've been telling Tara and and Jonathan about him. He writes uh, online every Wednesday. He used to be in the San Francisco Chronicle, but he's he's too edgy and out there. And they said, no, not for print. It's brilliant. This is called Hurry Up. Oh, his name is Mark Morford, M-O-R-F-O-R-D, every Wednesday. Hurry Up, Get More Done, and Die is the title of the, the article. Your terrifying word of the day is microtasking. And it comes by way of a relatively humble, ostensibly helpful article that I read via one of those perky little do-it-yourself blogs that exist to tell you a million ways to tweak and hack your entire existence to gain maximum productivity, efficiency, and improved overall time management. Because, well, if that's not the true meaning of this manic American life, what is? The advice was horrifyingly simple. When you find yourself pausing in between normal projects and word tasks for anything more than, say, 30 seconds, why not take those tiny moments and, well, do more things? I mean, you're just sort of sitting there, right? What sort of things? Fast things, little things, otherwise inconsequential things that you don't care about otherwise, like clearing your junk mail, refilling the stapler, changing your voicemail, message, message, retweeting someone's Twitter blip, or giving a momentary damn about something you need not give a damn about otherwise. But hey, what else are you going to do? Breathe? (laughs) Feel? Merely exist? What are you, a hippie? It's a fascinating And yes, terrifying idea, really, that if you could just maximize your output a little bit more, if you could cram into all open white space another thing to do, wow, think of all the things you could get done by the end of the day. Think of how much you could get checked off your list. We are, by and large, utterly terrified of silence, stillness, spaciousness, the doing of nothing so as to feel the totality of everything. Meditation, for most, is disquieting and strange. Deep quiet feels weird and dangerous. A void aching to be filled. The internet has us convinced that the world is a roaring fire hose of urgent information. And if you can't swallow it all, well, something must be wrong with you. In any 48-hour period in 2010, says a stunning article I read in The Atlantic, more data was created than had been created by all of humanity in the previous 30,000 years up until 2005 I don't know how they figured it out but they did and by the year 2020 that same amount of data will be created in a single hour go ahead swallow hard it is no longer possible to sit quietly on the park bench without checking your Facebook feed, chatting with Siri, and waving to the closed-caption TV cameras. It's no longer possible to be astonished at the wonder of your footfalls along the forest path and not feel the urge to check email, find the nearest Starbucks, himstomatic the hell out of that beautiful fallen tree, You can't just sit in your car along a quiet country road without the GPS beeping that you took a wrong turn as OnStar politely blows up your car. (laughs) How easily we forget. Time expands, time contracts. Work will swell or diminish to fill a given space. You can do ten things in an hour or one thing in ten. You can go to Spirit Rock Meditation Center for two solid weeks and do absolutely nothing but wander the grounds in silence for 12 hours a day, and time will look at you like you're utterly insane as, as your breath and body thank you for all eternity. You can conversely micro-task until your heart implodes and time merely will laugh and snort and find someone else to destroy. So this quality of non-grasping of letting go it's really the key to happiness to put down the burden of needing more to see to discern between the different the difference between what we want which is endless and what we need which is rather minimal, simplifying. We love simplicity. We crave simplicity. You ever see Real Simple magazine? Uh, 250 pages of ads that will make your life more simple, right? (laughs) But still, yeah, real simple, I'll take that. And on on the positive end, having a spirit of generosity is really that letting go and experiencing the interconnectedness of things letting go and sharing ah this feels good from a great Tibetan master Gendon Rinpoche happiness cannot be found through great effort and willpower but is already here in relaxation and letting go Wanting to grasp the ungraspable, you exhaust yourself in vain. As soon as you relax this grasping, space is here, open, inviting, and comfortable. And it feels so good to realize, oh, I can survive when the pleasant changes. That's the natural way of things. Being here for it, yes, fully giving it my presence and gratitude, but not holding on to what is changing. As Joseph Goldstein, uh, my teacher and many of our teachers talks about holding on to changing experience is rope burn. You ever remember when you were in gym and you slid down a rope too fast? Holding on to something that's slipping through is painful. So in every moment, you have the choice when it's a pleasant moment to fully be here for it and then as it changes to let go gracefully as Ajahn Chah, a great Thai master says, if you let go a little, you'll have a little peace. If you let go a lot, you'll have a lot of peace. If you let go completely, you'll have complete peace and your troubles and struggles with the world will come to an end. This is the movement from the second noble truth, there's a cause of suffering, to the third noble truth, the end of suffering. So keep that in mind when you are experiencing a pleasant moment. Don't push it away. Don't say, okay, I better not be here, like it because I'll get attached. No, there's the art to fully savoring grace, moments of grace, and moments of, of sweetness or inspiration or goodness or wholesomeness. Even the sweetness of tasting a a delicious peach or any pleasurable experience that's not causing harm. Ah, okay, be here. And then, ah, gone. Okay, I can be here for the next part. So this is the first one. Non-greed or letting go or generosity of spirit second in the unpleasant moment instead of reacting recoiling with aversion ill will anger hatred fear this movement is a contraction which is suffering just like the holding on is a contraction which is suffering all the states of suffering are contracting states the letting go is an expansive state and generosity is an expansive state state and in the same way instead of the aversion to the unpleasant finding the courage and learning practicing little by little that we have the capacity to Open up to the unpleasant this is a very profound understanding that we don't have to add on a second layer of fear or aversion on top of what is already unpleasant in the teachings this is called adding a second arrow on top of the first one there's an unpleasant moment okay that's the first arrow but hating the unpleasant moment or fearing that we're not able to handle it creates a whole other level of confusion that's the second arrow our reaction to the unpleasantness and in a more positive way we could say having a friendliness with the moment whether it's unpleasant or not we are learning to open our hearts to it all this is not about getting to some magical place and saying I arrived now I finally my practice is working because I've hit you know the pure land if that happens please let me know and and it's wonderful, there are times that you are just in a groove, but not to think, how do I keep it? How do I, how do I maintain it? Because life has the 10,000 joys and the 10,000 sorrows. So it's not about arriving at some wonderful space and staying there, but it's about being here for the ride, for the pleasant and the unpleasant. And that takes some practice and courage seeing oh I can be with this too and in that in that openness of heart one learns to meet any moment with friendliness particularly what's going on inside Mm. this non aversion and we get a lot of practice here on retreat particularly with ourselves and with ourselves and how we are with what our experience is and Tara led the forgiveness practice today it's so crucial that first step of not railing against life or against others or against ourselves and certainly uh, it's complex to just open up and accept everything and sometimes we have to go through our pain and our grief and our rage and our anger that's part of being human too but if we're holding on for longer than is healthy it's like the the Buddha has the image of holding on to a hot coal trying to hurt somebody and not realizing you're the one that's getting burned they might be in Hawaii having a great time, and there you are, you think about them, yeah, that rotten will be, you know, you're the one. Or it's like drinking, uh, drinking poison and hoping the other person will get sick. Another image that's given. So to find a friendliness with experience, you have this practice right here in the moment when it's a challenging one. And there's a number of different levels of this non-aversion that um, that we can experience. Mm. Non-aversion or non-hatred, another way of saying it, is love, is loving kindness. But it's not so much the love that is attachment. That's very different than metta, which is an expansive feeling that's just well-wishing or friendly the word meta and my in sanskrit is this is the same word as friend <clears throat> a friendliness with the moment robert bligh has this um, this line i really like he says every part of us and our personalities that we do not learn to love will become hostile to us not that I love my insecurity or I love my my pettiness but in the in that sense of a friendliness a kindness towards that part of being human. And so we start with in our practice being kind and loving towards ourselves. And tomorrow we'll do in the loving kindness uh uh, in the yeah the heart practice, will do some meta toward self, and, and Tara will speak more about it uh, tomorrow night. So I won't get too much into it right now, but just something that I'd like you to reflect on. It's so amazing how we can open up to most everybody in our our lives that we meet until they've wronged us in some way and be basically friendly towards them. But when it comes to ourself, it's a whole different story. Let me ask you if you met somebody who really understood you, who really really got where you were coming from, and appreciated your sense of humor, really understood your your hopes and your fears who enjoyed, appreciated your tastes, your taste in things, and who really got you, how would you feel about meeting somebody like that? would it be nice? would it be great? There's one person that gets every joke that goes through your head. <laughs> Only one that gets all of them. One person that really gets your hopes and your fears and your insecurities and your successes one person unfortunately they're right inside your own skin but if you met yourself from the outside you would probably say where have you been all my life thank goodness you'd be tickled pink but it's so interesting how when it comes to ourselves Einstein has this expression he says we live in an optical delusion of consciousness where from our own relative reality we don't see things as they're seen by others Who you are shines through you, whether you realize it or not. And it takes a bit of practice to see what everybody who cares about you and appreciates you sees. So it starts, and you get a lot of practice here, with kindness towards yourself. That includes the way you talk to yourself, the way you can be kind and forgiving forgiving with your quirks and your personality and your body it's just following its own laws can we be forgiving and kind and appreciative of who we are <clears throat> see if you can take that as a practice And when you see that you're frustrated with how you're doing, then to realize, oh, I'm doing the best I can. If you're doing the best you can, if you have a sincere intention to show up as best you can, that's your end of the deal. What happens is really outside of your control. And we'll get to that in a few moments. So there's practice in being kind to yourself there's the kind of non-hatred or loving kindness towards others which we'll do through our our um, heart practices here it's amazing it's beautiful how we have this capacity to feel connected and close with others but as soon as there's wanting that happens then it gets distorted into fear, resentment, pain, suffering, just as a little experiment to show you the difference between genuine metta and the, the pain of love as is in every country, Western song and romance novel and most movies. Just close your eyes for a moment and, uh, bring someone to mind who you really have a lot of love for and really care about and you might have an image of them and see them in a happy moment and get in touch with how much you enjoy their happiness and just send them a few moments of metta may you really be happy and may you feel how much I really care about you and how much I love you and notice how that feels inside and now for a moment think of how it is when you want something from them or you don't want them to disappoint you please don't disappoint me don't blow it I really want this from you and again notice how it feels inside when that love gets colored by wanting notice how it feels in your body in your mind in your heart I won't leave you here take a breath and once again see them in a happy moment and get in touch with how much you really do want to see them happy and just wish them well may you really be happy may you see all your beauty the way I see it sometimes and again notice how it feels inside Okay, you can open your eyes. Do you see the difference between that pure wishing well, that outflow, and when it becomes tainted by wanting? Mm. Okay, so there's being kind towards ourselves, being kind and loving that uh, that experience of really loving um, without possession of others. Then there's another kind of love that brings most people to practice and that is um a kind of being pulled or drawn to waking up to becoming more conscious what i call loving practice or loving the truth or loving consciousness many years ago i was with um uh with Ram Dass, uh who's one of my main teachers. Um, I read probably like a few people in here. Uh, I read Be Here Now, a book called Be Here Now. How many people have read Be Here Now? Okay, if you're old enough to read it. It changed my life. And I was fortunate enough to see about studying in this small scene in, in New York. This is in 1975, about a year after I got into practice, into uh, Dharma practice, Vipassana practice, Buddhist practice, and uh, I was meeting with Ramdas just to see if it was appropriate for me to go to this class because he he's uh, into uh, Hindu uh, uh, Hindu tradition, chanting, you know, Sri Ram, Jai Ram, and just the the devotional quality of the heart and things like that. And I wasn't sure that it was really for me, although there was something in his teachings and in his guru, named Karoli Baba, that really um, had a deep impact on me. So we were meeting just to see if this was appropriate. And uh, he said, well, uh, let me ask you, um, do you love Jesus? And I said, I like Jesus. <laughs> yeah. He said, no, but do you love Jesus? I said, well, I am inspired by his teachings, but I don't know if I love him the way you think maybe I should. Um, So that's what I have to say about that. He said, okay, well, do you love Krishna? And I said again, I like Krishna. (laughs) Just this embodiment of Celebration and 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 uh, and loving life and all and I, it, it is an inspiring archetype for me. But I don't know if I love Krishna. Yeah. And then he said, um, "Well, let me ask you: um, Do you love God?" And then I said, "Well, Ramdas, I was raised uh, in the Jewish tradition, and although I really..." for a while was very um, hungry for the the teachings the way it came down to me um, it was more the sense of God as this very powerful all-powerful male with a big beard and a book and a pen saying you're going to have a good day and you're going to have a lousy day and instead of that love of God, it was more like the, the fear of God was put into me. So I, I can't, I don't know if I say I love God, but I, when I hear the word God, I think of the Dharma, of the perfection of everything and how the mystery of life, how it all fits together and how, um, how amazing it all is. And then he said, well, do you love the Dharma? And that one, I said, oh yeah. yeah. He said, you sure? I said, absolutely. It's the center of my life. So and then he said, um, have you ever told the Dharma that you love it? I said, no. He said, well, go ahead. I said, what do you mean? He said, just say, say I love you, Dharma. I said, you, "You really? You mean it? He said, yeah, go ahead. I'll say it with you. He was very <laughs> generous. And I felt like a complete jerk saying, Okay, I love you, Dharma. And he said, I love you, Dharma. And I said, I love you, Dharma. And he said it. It went back and forth about, oh, three or four times until one time I really felt it. I love you, Dharma. And at that point, tears started coming down my face and he said oh there's hope for you yet okay (laughs) and I ended up being in that class for a year it was a very important moment for me because as deeply passionate I was about as I was about practice I'd never really connected the two how much I love the Dharma whether you call it the truth or the mystery or life there's something that pulls me forward and pulls i bet probably most everybody here if you've been practicing for a while then you know there's a a teaching called chitta idipada where you fall in love with the dharma you fall in love with the truth and everything else kind of pales by comparison to that and It's something that we really need to honor. Even if this is new to you, there's something that's calling you that maybe a friend or a partner has inspired you to say, I want real happiness, and I'm going for it. This is not easy stuff, but once you taste that depth of authenticity and truth, then you're drawn like a moth to a a flame. Just get in touch for a moment with your own love of practice of the truth. Here you are doing this not easy exercise. Something is pulling you here, has called you here. What is that? Whatever it is, you could say it's grace or karma, but whatever, you've been touched and you haven't been, it you can't ignore that call. So that's another level of this non-hatred of deep love of the truth. And an even deeper level of love is when we experience directly being the truth when we're not in the way when the barriers get lifted between us and the rest of life and we are life just moving through us and that kind of love where there's not a separation between us and everything around us is a very profound, direct, unforgettable new reference point to the heart that's open and free. It's not a duality of me loving something else. It's just, as Ramdas says in in one of his in his last book being love now that you are love itself expressing itself through you and that leads us to the third of these non-delusion and I just want to again before I go on remind you that every moment that it's an a challenging unpleasant moment And that you can open to it in a friendly way you're planting those seeds of of love profoundly the third when it's a neutral moment we space out and we get deluded or confused it's dull it's not seeing things clearly but on a more Profound level delusion refers to taking personally our experience identifying with our experience taking ownership of your experience my thought my good thought my bad thought my good meditation my lousy meditation my you know knee that is not cooperating my respiratory system that's coughing my and taking it all to be yours when it's not in a fundamental sense really yours it's just these laws of mind and body that are expressing themselves as you another way to to think of non-delusion is not seeing clearly and taking what's impermanent to be permanent what is really suffering grasping holding on to be a source of happiness and taking what is basically basically a selfless reality for self so What is this? How does this work? Something to keep in mind is that you do not have control over your experience. Now this might sound like bad news. It's actually great news to get that you have really little or no control over what comes through your mind at any particular time you can influence it but if you had control over your thoughts you'd probably only have loving thoughts of saving humanity and just blessing everybody that came your way there's probably a few other thoughts that slip in every now and then but to see oh these thoughts come unbidden all by themselves you know you probably don't say I could go for some doubt right now you know (laughs) how about a little rage okay or pettiness yeah I could good to cultivate pettiness they just come all by themselves and it's so freeing to see oh these thoughts come all come and go all by themselves no responsibility no problem and the same way with your body just following its own laws with its gurgling and it's farting and it's all kinds of things that come through it's just doing following its own laws that's just the way it is isn't that freeing it's tremendously freeing you say oh my god I hope I don't fart you know (laughs) And it happens okay this is just what happens how freeing you do the best you can you show up and that's just the way it is you know this is not identifying with your experience and in the same way with your fears or your judgments or your sadnesses or your anger they are all just arising out of causes and conditions You can practice setting up conditions that are more likely to incline towards wisdom and towards love and towards generosity in the moment that you're mindful but to hold whatever is here with compassion is really seeing through this ownership of experience on one on one uh, retreat this is a very um, profound insight that I had it was really a landmark insight which I'll I'll share with you on uh, retreat many years ago now, I was just kind of cruising every now and then this is on a longer retreat of several months and you kind of I got into this flow where I was sitting for long hours I was pretty clear I was bright and I don't know how I got there but it was very cool and in the middle of this Longish sitting, which I used to open up my eyes just to kind of stay grounded in it. Somebody came into the hall who I had tremendous respect for their practice. They came, they sat down, and inside of about 10 minutes, they were having a classic experience of the nods. This is the nods where you go down and up like this. I know very well what it's like to have the nods. I probably have spent weeks in that mode, if you put it all together. But it struck me, here I was cruising, and she was having the nods, and I knew very well that tomorrow it could be the other way around. And in that moment, something happened. The whole room kind of... Spun around in my conceptual mind and instead of it being me having this great being a great meditator It was just here. It was this energy of, of of Clarity and concentration and here was sloth and torpor what's called sloth and torpor and this energy field could be restlessness and this could be love and this could be calm and this can be and it could all be shifting around like you know magic shill game uh, in in a few hours later and so to take credit for how I was doing all of a sudden became so completely absurd I didn't know how I got there if I knew I would have done it every time but it just it it just happened and it was so freeing to see ah just the way it is it's just life expressing itself through this form and even the awareness that could see that was just part of the package it was just this field of activity To really see your experience, however it is, and not take ownership of it, to not think, "Hey, doing well now, (sighs) pretty cool. I hope everybody sees what a good meditator I am." You're missing the point. Or, "Oh, I'm really the 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 meditation is really so lousy." Or, "I'm spacing out." Or, "I'm sleepy." Or, "I'm just a ball. I'm, I'm a mess." Oh, if people find out what a pathetic meditator I am, you know, they boot me out of this place, you know, is missing the point. It's all just happening in the field of experience called you. And the awareness itself is mysteriously not you, but it can be a A dimension of your being that is completely free and loving and clear that can rest in the deepest kind of happiness that the Buddha spoke of this is a a beautiful poem by my favorite poet Dana Falls settle in the here and now reach down into the center where the world is not spinning and drink this holy peace feel relief flood into every cell nothing to do nothing to be but what you are already nothing to receive but what flows effortlessly from the mystery into form nothing to run from or run toward, just this breath, awareness, knowing itself as embodiment, just this breath, awareness, waking up to truth. In every moment we have this choice, pleasant to be here with it without grasping. Appreciate it fully and then let it go in its own time. Unpleasant to meet it with a friendliness and a courage and a willingness to be with this moment of life as it's presenting itself. Non-delusion or wisdom to not take ownership of your experience, to just Be the vehicle for which life moves through you. This is how we transform suffering into happiness. So let's uh, sit for just a moment and rest in that place. Just this breath, awareness knowing itself as embodiment. Just this breath, awareness waking up to truth.